0: Hello everybody, welcome to the Big Doug podcast, the place where we talk to some of the most inspirational business leaders, founders, MDs, celebrities, and influencers. Each week, we will have a new guest who is incredibly inspirational in their field, giving you an insight into their world. This week, we were extremely lucky to talk to Phil Mills, who is an ex world racing car rally champion and also a business owner. And we get to see an insight into his world as a racing car driver and what he's been doing since he won the coveted title of world champion in 2004. The interview you're about to hear was filmed on Zoom due to social distancing. So please excuse any cutting out because of internet connections. Hope you enjoy, don't forget to subscribe to Phil Mills, uh, who is an ex-racing car champion and also has his own business, uh, which we've had the pleasure and delight of supporting at Big Doug. Uh, Phil, welcome, thank you so much for joining.
1: Welcome, thank you.
0: Um, Phil, I kind of want to hand it over to you to start with and jump straight in um, and talk about, or you just talk about what your career, why you started and and what you've been doing, so everybody
1: knows. Yeah, well, We'd be, um, we'd run out of battery on the podcast if I had to do the whole thing. But uh, to summarize, um, um, I was a a rally co-driver and um, I started co-driving before I left school in uh, local sort of club events and things like that. And then progressed on through the ranks really of local championships, British championship, um, European, and then went on to the world championship, where I was lucky enough to win each of the stages that I went through from Welsh to British to world champion. So um, that's what that's what I did. It, it was a bizarre way to earn a living, that's for sure. But uh, I had a book and a pencil and a rubber um, and off I went, and it was as simple as that, really. It wasn't as simple as that, but uh, that's how I made my living for uh, 20 plus years. Mr. Yeah.
0: Modest. <laughs> it well, was, so what, so am I right in saying, was it 2003 or world champion? Is that correct?
1: 2003 world champion yes but yeah. before that a british champion in the 87 and welsh champion in 90 and 89 so uh, go back a long way uh, but yes the, the pinnacle I, I suppose was 2003 when we managed to crack the title
0: so how did you get into it how is that how is racing car driving something you get into
1: it's it's a long story, but we live in central Wales, and I think as a child growing up, it was like unavoidable because um, there was a rally going on every weekend or a motorbike event or something in motorsport. I mean, it's huge in mid Wales. Uh, road racing was a huge scene at that time as well, and road racing was very easy to get into. Um, and we lived on uh, in an area where there was a very famous sort of section, um, and there was... Uh, Selectives or stages as as you know them now, there was four of them based in the village where I lived um, and they were used at least three times a year. So so I I literally had to stand on the hedge um, in the garden. Uh, at about two o'clock in the morning and, and the cars were passing. So I think it got into the blood that way, you know, and um, it was, it, yeah, it was unavoidable really. And just got into it. Then the huge rallies used to come the Welsh international and the REC Valley, um, that used to come through the village as well. Um, and it just got bigger and bigger and started entering events. I thought, yeah, this is quite cool. I want to do this. So I think if you're, um, if you're a petrol head and a bit of an office type organized type person, you've got the ultimate job really.
0: Of course. So, from for you, then, obviously, you got into it, and it was, and I, I don't say this in a disrespectful way. I guess it became a bit of a hobby. At what point did it go from a hobby to a career?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I was working in a, in a car dealership, and um, it uh, it became a bit of a full time job, if you like, and. Uh, it the, the, the rallying became quite busy and I needed to disappear on Fridays and things like that. And it was getting in the way of work a bit. And it was a horrible period where I was so busy with the rallying, but I was doing quite well in my job. And it was a horrible period and uh, a big uncertain one whether to leave my job and try and make it as a co-driver professionally. Um, but that came sort of in the early 90s, I suppose, was... Uh, when that all came around and I had two or three seasons of working like crazy just to get time off to go and do the events. And it, it was really uh, very difficult to make it all work. But um, we made the right decision at the end and left my job and started coding.
0: <laughs> do you know what's really interesting? I guess it's like anyone who their a business, because I guess that was your career and your profession. There's that tipping point right. between the security and safety of, of a paying job and a, a salary yeah. and a wage
1: against your passion. It is. Um, and, and you kind of to it is. I think if you can turn your hobby into a living, um, some people will say that you've absolutely cracked it. Some people will say that it's not for them, and they should always keep it as a hobby. Uh, but I turned my hobby into a living. I, I was doing professionally what I was doing as a hobby anyway, and getting paid and, and traveling around the world, ticket as well. So, um, <laughs> seeing yeah, a lot of the world. Basically <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> Turned my hobby into a living and uh, had an absolute ball. And if I had the chance to do it all again, I probably would. I wouldn't change. Sure.
0: So <laughs> for anybody listening who's interested in how you turn that into a living, where did the the funding come from? How did you survive? How did you get paid?
1: Um, yeah, it, it was very difficult, but uh, I made sure that the first job I got, um, I earned enough to put a sandwich on the table. And it pretty much was just that. Um, and I just scrambled along, really. And I was still trying to make ends meet. I was doing some other work, um, all in motorsport, but behind the scenes in between jobs as well, just to try and put a sandwich on the table. And it was really, really tough for quite mm. a few years. Um, and of course, because you were self-employed with this ridiculous uh, job description, uh, when I went to the bank for a mortgage for the house, I think that the, the woman behind the desk was all, still rolling around the floor laughing, you know? Um, she said, "Well, you know what asked no, to be." What was the company? job title? You can't say
0: that and not say what the job title was. What did, you, what, <laughs> did you, what did you? What did you go to the mortgage broker
1: and say? This is what I do for a living. What's your job? I, I can. I can remember going to Barclays Bank actually for a mortgage, and uh, said your job occupation. So we actually yeah, was refused instantly. So I went back again, um, and changed it to motorsport consultant, uh, okay. and then that was That, that went straight through then. So it sort of was worse. all in the job description. So it was uh, <laughs> it was quite quite funny. But yeah, you would just scrabble along, get the jobs that you can, take anything in motorsport just to keep involved, um, and just scrambled enough money to to, to to keep going really. And it was really tough. Yeah. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. So at the height of your career, you know, how did it work? Did you get paid by uh, car companies? Did you get paid by sponsorship? How did it? How did it work?
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, very simple. We represented a motor manufacturer, and when I won the title, I was for Subaru. um, And they basically employed us to do the job, and we got paid for it, and it was as simple as that. Um, They then raised the sponsorship. We were sponsored then by BAT and the Triple Five team. They raised the sponsorship through Motor Oils and Triple Five Tobacco, and anyone see that? Side of it, we were just employed to do the job, which was to get that car the fastest around the world championship. So that the this that side of the business, I I didn't really see. But since opening my own team, uh, I'm the other side of the desk now, and I can see exactly where those guys were trying to make ends meet a very interesting side of the desk really
0: for sure so let's talk about now then so what, what do you tell everybody what you do now and,
1: and what your business
0: is so, and, yep.
1: and um, how you've gone about on uh, about 12 or 15 years ago we decided i pretty much knew that it was coming out of the car and i was gonna step back from from full-time competing and uh, i always wanted my own team uh, and ironically um, we had a I was part of a cutting-edge world championship team, but I didn't really want to go into modern cars. And my passion was older cars—the cars that I grew up with, which really was, uh, I suppose, the iconic cars of the mid seventies to the late eighties. I suppose that was my, uh, you know, life on Mars period, as it were. And um, so that was the cars that I uh, that, that I was in love with, if you like. And that's what we did—we set up a team reproducing brand new models from the 70s and 80s we specialized for instance in Ford Escort um and we reproduced those brand new so we set about uh, there was a few companies doing it uh, we set about doing it uh, right at the sharp end producing the highest quality car that we could for the discerning customer who wanted full seven star service anywhere in the world in a historic car and that's basically the that's that was the the, the sort of um principle of the company and we've always stood by that and we've always done that and we've always supplied that and something we're very proud of and
0: that's viking motorsport which is obviously your business yep. Yep. how obviously you've gone on a, a great growth journey um how has covid
1: affected your business in the pandemic um the, ironically um last year it all kicked off in march as we all know um Ironically, we had the busiest summer and autumn and winter um, on record. And we shouldn't have done because the the events that we were doing were all canceled. But the the car bills that we got and were involved with far outweighed the events that we missed. So um, we were extremely busy, but we shouldn't have been. And it's all a bit bizarre, really. I can't understand how we're still producing new cars for events that aren't happening anymore. But um, we are extremely busy, even now to this day we've got orders in the book for way, way into the future. And um, yeah, it, it, it is a bit bizarre that in a world where it doesn't allow hospitality and events, uh, we're still producing product to go into hospitality and events. So uh, but in may long it uh, you know, it continue. But that's an, the answer that's amazing. The, the answer to the question is it didn't affect us at all. Uh, not, not at all. In fact, Good. it might have done us a tiny little favor because we pulled our belt up a little bit. Um, we stopped going away on events and we had more time back at base and concentrating on things in a slightly different way. So it's probably helped us uh, in, in a weird way.
0: Which is, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that and that you're you know, really lucky
1: because there's so obviously so many
0: businesses out there that have just yeah. literally fallen off a cliff overnight. And it's nice to see that you guys are still not only surviving but growing. Um yeah. one thing I'd love to know is obviously you started the business. You know, how what was it like when you first started and what's that growth been like? And how has it how has it been for you
1: personally? Yeah, well, we started with a blank sheet of paper and four walls, and uh with a workshop, with a very empty workshop and four walls. And uh we literally grew it from nothing. So it was uh it was difficult. Um there was just two of us. Uh there's now nine. Um and when we go away on event, there's 18 of us. So we're quite a big team when we hit the road. Um, but, yeah, it's grown hugely in the last uh, sort of 12, 14 years, I suppose. And um, yeah, it, it was never meant to be like that. It was only supposed to be a little hobby business with uh, me and a couple of lads drifting in at 10 o'clock in the morning and going home at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, and having a round of golf and all that. But uh, how wrong, how wrong that was. Um, it seems it's like, like you've got a bit of a knack, Phil, for... Turned a hobby into a
0: business.
1: (laughs) It's more like seven till seven. And, uh, you know, I can just about find the time to go and sleep. But, um, yeah, it was never meant to be what it is today. It was always supposed to be a very low-key hobby business. uh, And it's now turned into something much greater than that.
0: But that's great, though, isn't it? You know, something that you've built and you're proud of, surely.
1: Sorry, you're breaking up, Bill. Let's try again.
0: Sorry, can you hear me now?
1: Yeah, try again.
0: Yeah, um, I said, surely that's the dream, isn't it? You know, having something which you've created and is growing, you know, more than just a hobby.
1: It is, yeah. We've created something and it's, uh, I do pinch myself sometimes and look back on what we've achieved, actually, you know, uh, the uh, the trips that we've done across uh, Central Africa and Australia and New Zealand and South America, and some of the mm. the clients and the, the the trips that we've achieved and pulled and the results that we pulled off in the sport, um, I do sit back sometimes and pinch myself, um, because you're always caught up in this whirlwind of uh, work and traveling, um, and yeah, sometimes it's nice. For instance, during uh, the COVID a period to sit back and reflect and uh, just pat yourself on the back and see what you've done, you know.
0: Sure. What's the, what's the future then? So like continue to grow the business or keep it steady?
1: It is. We um, we could see we, we were a little bit top heavy on rally sport and we could see that rallying was obviously taking a kick in. So we decided to, to sort of just split the business a little bit and we decided to do some historic touring car racing, uh, which is quite exciting and we went into pre-war cars so pre-war endurance rallies are big business um a very 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 different business okay you've still got a car with four wheels but um, these events are for pre-war so we built um we just finished a uh, 1939 chevy um and for events such as uh, Peking to paris which are 41 days long um and the extreme endurance uh business is quite big. So we've started putting a toe in the water in that um, just to be not totally reliant on rally. So we've got long distance rally now, domestic sprinting rally, and plus uh, uh, some touring car racing. So we have splintered the business only because um, if one of those sectors went quiet, we could just jump on the other two then. And that's worked quite well, actually. It's That's we're just in the first phase of that now. And that's starting to happen quite well
0: very exciting and hopefully if as and when the pandemic lifts and we all get back to a sense of normality i hope so growing even
1: bigger for you i hope so yeah well things need to change but uh, i don't really want to grow the business too much more i just want to consolidate what i've got and just do a really nice job for like i said before for the discerning client and uh, um, i don't want to go too big um you you'd start to lose quality and uh, the personal touch when you go too big. So um, we're, we're getting quite close to that point now, I would say.
0: Sure. Sure. And I think we'll probably, I mean, end on if there's lots of people going to be listening about, you know, lots of people have got passions and hobbies and, but they, they're they stuck in the grind of nine to five for you. What advice would you give to anyone listening that has real passion and they want to get to that tipping point of leaving their yeah. job and pursuing their passion?
1: Um, I, I truly believe um, it doesn't matter what you want, um, you will actually get it. And it doesn't matter if there's a, a particular model car or something that you fancy, you will actually get that at one day. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you've got a career in mind and uh, the ultimate end of that career, it doesn't matter what it is. But I think if you want something in, in life bad enough, eventually you will get it. And uh, you have to work your butt off, don't get me wrong. And uh, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears along the way Uh, but you will actually get it in the end. And I am a true believer of that. If you want it bad enough, you will get it. And that's the only advice I would say. If if you've got a goal, um, you will get it. It's just the bit in between that uh, if you don't bottle out on the bit in between, we'll definitely get there in the end.
0: Um, yeah. Phil, thank you so much for joining the Big Dog podcast and talking about your amazing journey. I hope it's inspired
1: a lot of people. Is there any final words you want to say before we No, close that's down. great. And uh, it's all part of the big equation. And obviously, um, um, even our very organised store system that we have uh, wouldn't be possible without the Big Dog. So hey. I've got to mention that. Um, and it's <laughs> made up of life. lot It's made our life uh, extremely easy uh, over the years and it's getting easier all the time with all the bits that's coming out. But uh, no, it's great to chat to you guys and uh, stay in touch.
0: Yeah, thank you so, so much. And thank you everybody for listening. Uh, Make sure you subscribe and like uh, our podcast for more inspirational chats like this. Um, And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Big Dog podcast, season two, episode one with Phil Mills. I hope you enjoyed it. Please do subscribe, like and share
1: this podcast and we have more amazing interviews coming soon.